Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. In bargaining, we've repeatedly told the companies from day one, September 14th is a deadline not a reference point. We will not allow the big three to continue dragging out negotiations for months. They've made a quarter of a trillion dollars in North American profits over the last decade. They nickel and dime our members every day. They price gouge the American consumer and they squeeze the U.S. taxpayer for every dime they can get. The big three can afford to immediately give us our fair share. On Friday, U.S. auto workers started an unprecedented strike against all three of the legacy Detroit carmakers, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, which makes Chrysler and Jeep vehicles. If the standoff isn't resolved quickly, it could ripple through the U.S. economy. What are the union workers demanding, and will the companies give them what they want? I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, Bloomberg's Detroit Bureau Chief David Welch is here with answers. David, this auto strike is a little bit different from earlier ones because the auto workers are walking out on all three of the big old Detroit U.S. automakers at the same time. That's right. Uh, We haven't had a national strike like this in history, at least not in anything we'd consider modern times. It it really kind of shows the, uh, I think, the angst to a great degree that union workers have and labor in general in the country. There's a lot of labor unrest when it comes to income disparity and inflation and, you know, what the union has been calling corporate greed and billionaires. You know, there's a class issue in the U.S., and, you know, so when, when, when it's at all three companies, it tells you that you know, this is a widespread thing as opposed to management of, of one automaker or the other that the union thinks is, is mistreating them. This is the whole industry to them. And they also chose only particular plants at each of the companies that make popular vehicles. Why did they choose that strategy? Yeah, so look, the, the union's got a few things going on. Uh, one is they have a strike fund that pays $750 a week, which includes their health care coverage for every worker. And with 150,000 workers at all three companies, that fund would be broke in about seven weeks if they struck every plant. So what Sean Fain, the union president, is trying to do, he's trying to inflict some pain. And so he, he's he's shutting down the Ford Bronco Jeep Wrangler and Chevrolet Colorado pickup plant. That's the GM midsize pickup, which that's an important distinction that I can get to in a minute. But these are three popular vehicles that make pretty good money. They're not the most popular vehicles and they don't make the most money. So this is sort of an opening salvo that says, hey, we're going to hurt your earnings, but we're not going to kill them. But if you don't give us a deal, we could. And we've got other levers we could pull down the road. And so think about it. If they could strike all three companies every single plant in the last seven weeks, they do a piecemeal like this, they could drag this on for months. 
So it also sends the automakers a signal that, okay, the earnings hit right now from these shutdowns may not be huge, but the union can and intends to potentially do this for a very long time, which is a lot of headaches for everybody. And then, of course, once they strike this plant, they can start to threaten others that can do more damage. A full-size pickup truck plant that makes a Ford F-150 or Chevy Silverado or Ram pickup, that's a lot of profit lost right there. Uh, they could shut down parts plants that make replacement parts, which means dealers have a headache trying to repair cars and you have angry customers on your hands. That one I think would be risky even for the union, but that is a thing they could do. Or they could shut down plants like that make engines or body parts that would shut down multiple assembly plants. So you see that they can, they can sort of ramp this up and, and every time they do it with some of these other strategies, inflict more pain and aggravation on management to apply more pressure. So the companies have said they've given the auto workers a pretty good deal and met a lot of what they thought were their demands. What did the companies offer? So right now they're all at roughly 20% pay increase over four years, so an average of 5% a year. In the last contract, they got two 3% increases and two lump sum checks worth 4%. And that, that was just the raw pay increase. So th this is you know significantly bigger than that. They did offer a uh, cost of living allowance, which basically helps protect workers against inflation. And, and that's something that workers had from 1948 until 2009. They lost it during the financial crisis and they've wanted it back ever since. And the companies were sort of whistling by the graveyard, not giving it back to them in each agreement. And now there's, you know, with the inflation we've had in 2021 and 2022, the workers think they went backwards in pay during the last agreements. So now they want this. The companies have actually offered that. They, they didn't tell us what the calculus was. The union clearly didn't like the calculus, but they, they've offered that as well. They sweetened the pensions for those who actually have pensions. The big sticking point, the one thing that they didn't offer, and I believe they never will, is giving pensions back to workers hired after 2007. That's another benefit that was lost in the, you know, years leading up to the financial crisis in 2009 when, when GM and, and Chrysler went bankrupt. Guaranteed pensions for workers went away, as did retiree health care. Anyone hired before 07 has it. Everybody else does not. Union wants it back for the newer hires. Companies will never do it because it results in tens of billions of dollars in liabilities that they have to fund. So if that becomes the sin qua non of this round of negotiations, it could be a very long and ugly fight because the companies just will not get into that situation where they have this massive growing liability. Look, I, I, I think Sean Fain probably could have taken these current offers to his membership and gotten it ratified but he wants to try to get some of these other things back. So for me, the $64 billion question is, what is he willing to take to the membership? And if he insists on, on this pension and retiree stuff, buckle in because it'll, it'll be a long and ugly ride. If, as you say, the companies did offer the union a lot of what it wanted, except for these big questions over pensions, why do the membership go along? Is it a good deal for the workers? Um, look, I think it is. They may need to sweeten the 401k to kind of make the members feel like they are getting something more for their retirement than they had before. I think it's a 5% match, which I don't think is all that great. And I, I, I think they would want more than that. I think with this other stuff, you know, there's, they get very good profit sharing checks. Every one of these agreements comes with a ratification bonus, which is a check just for voting in favor of it and signing the deal. That's usually about $10,000. And think about that, you know, a worker not getting overtime, making the, the top wage of $32 an hour, that's about 67000 a year. So 
A ratification check of $10,000 and a bonus check of about $10,000, that's about a 33% bonus right there before we even get to the pay increase or the cost of living allowance. So why is the union willing to go to the wall over this? There is some politics here. The, the past two UAW presidents stole from the union itself. You know, that's what they were indicted and convicted of. So Sean Fain, in some ways, had to go on strike. And, and he has to show his, the offers he's getting and the offers he's giving publicly to have transparency, show the members what's going on, and by going on strike, show that he's fighting the good fight for labor. From, from day one, we've told these companies, you know, we don't expect them to delay and drag things out, and that's what they chose to do. We didn't want to be here. We want a fair agreement. We want fair economic and social justice for our members. That's what this is all about. Because they, they have no faith in the leadership. And he was, he was uh, elected in a runoff by a very narrow margin. So he's got to prove he's the real deal. And, uh, you know, what better way to do it than to strike and, you know, have rhetoric that accuses the CEOs of being greedy because of their raises and their big salaries and share buybacks that, you know, feed billionaires more money. All, you know, all the kind of rhetoric you hear now. Look, I think he sincerely does want to get a better deal and get as much as he can. There's no question about that. But he's also building a persona. So if he wants to be reelected as UAW president and get his deals ratified, he's got to build himself up as, as you know, a true great union leader. And do we have an indication about whether this strategy has wide support among the union membership? No one's doing a poll on it, but if, you know, just judging by the social media you see when he gives speeches and that sort of thing, the majority are pretty supportive of this. And, and, and look, why not? He's already, he's turned down offers that were better than the last couple of agreements they got. So the workers think, okay, even if he just gets a little more here, he's done better than the past two, three, four presidents have. Most of those presidents uh, either got mild pay raises or actually had to give concessions because we were in deep recession and so forth. But, you know, he, he's done better than those other presidents are, have already. So if you're a worker and you know you're going to get 20% plus all these signing bonuses, cost of living allowance and all that sort of thing, and you go off for two or three weeks and maybe get a little more, that, that's, you know, that much more on top of what you were, you got from the prior regimes. After the break, what do auto company executives say about the union workers' demands? Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The company CEOs have come out and kind of expressed frustration saying, we thought we gave these workers a pretty good deal. What more are we supposed to do? They have. And look, they knew going into this set of negotiations that they would have to offer a pretty good pay package because the last agreement wasn't all that lucrative for workers and the companies put up record profits or near record profits for the, for the past four years. They knew it. They probably thought the current deal they're offering would have been ratified six times over, and instead they have a strike. So they are very frustrated. And look, think about this. Negotiations in past years were always done behind closed doors. Now it's out in the public. CEOs hate that. They have a union president who's extracting very good offers out of them, which they're probably not in love with. And that same person who's extracting these offers routinely calls them greedy CEOs with ridiculous salaries who do share buybacks and pay dividends to disgusting Wall Street billionaires. So there's, there's some insult and injury going on here that, that I'm, I'm sure is not lost on. Well, General Motors CEO Mary Barra is, uh, I, I wrote a book on her. She's one of the most composed executives uh, I've ever interviewed. You know, Mary Barra went on Bloomberg TV on Friday to voice her frustration over this. I'm extremely disappointed and frustrated that we're even on a strike. We didn't need to get here. General Motors has an exceptionally strong offer on the table. It's historic. So when you look at the strength of the agreement we have on the on the table, you know, we really don't need to be here. And uh, to me, that says a lot. David, I thought it was interesting that given the stakes here, that markets largely shrugged it off. And in fact, on Friday, the automaker stocks went up a bit. No, I think that... The anticipation was a big national strike that was going to shut the companies down and lead to billions in losses, you know, very quickly. You're talking about three plants, and those are profitable vehicles, but, you know, we've seen important plants go down for two or three weeks because they didn't have semiconductors or even something as simple as a steering column. This is something that companies can absorb for a while. So if it, you know, if this goes on and the union adds more plants, then you'll see the stocks take a hit. I, I do think to a certain degree, you, you know, you've seen the stocks go down for the past month because of fear over a strike. So there's also a certain discount that's already built in. There's no question about that. But I, I, I think there might have been a sigh of relief that, you know, we're, we're kind of punting down the road the, you know, the strike Armageddon that people were really worried about. How long until consumers would start to feel the effect of this strike? Look, if you if you want a Ford Bronco, the, the, uh, it's a hot selling vehicle. Those dealer lots for that vehicle are going to start getting lean pretty quickly here, probably in a in you know a few weeks. Same goes for the other vehicles. So they'll start to see scarcity and start to see prices rise for select vehicles. I'd say within three weeks for the most part. And um, if he hits a parts plant, you know you could really have dealers hurting because they don't keep a lot of parts inventory. You know that could cause problems within a week or two. And because of just how big this industry is, if you look in the past, auto worker strikes didn't only affect the companies and the customers who buy cars, but all these suppliers up and down the chain. How costly could this strike be if it 
keeps going on. One estimate we have is $5.6 billion hit to the economy if all three companies were struck at all plants for 10 days. That's actually not that big if you think about the size of the U.S. economy. It's, it's more, you know, ripple effect for layoffs in certain regions and certain industries. When there was a strike at General Motors in September of 2019, the economy had a, a brief recession in Michigan. Uh, the company lost $3.6 billion. And uh, we saw a 19% drop in steel prices that quarter, and then a spike the following quarter because a bunch of mills had gone down, uh, and it takes a while to bring them back up. So the ripple effect here can be, can be pretty wide in, in ways that you, know, you don't necessarily see in GDP numbers. When we come back, the strike comes at an unwelcome time for Joe Biden. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. My hope that the parties can return to the negotiation table to forge a win-win agreement to continue our active engagement. I'm just dis- I'm dispatching two members of my team to Detroit, Acting Labor Secretary Julie Hsu and White House Senior Advisor Gene Sperling, both of whom have been involved up to now, to offer their full support for the parties in reaching a contract. The bottom line is that auto workers help create America's middle class. They deserve a contract that sustains them in the middle class. So if the markets didn't immediately respond, that's certainly not true of the White House, where Joe Biden is looking at a possible economic hit at the worst possible time for him. Biden's in a, he's walking a real tightrope here because he's built himself as labor's friend. So he needs to side with them, but he can't have them out for a long time because it, it not only would it hurt the economy, it would especially hurt the economy in the upper Midwest. There, there was a brief recession in Michigan when the UAW went on strike at General Motors for 40 days in 2019. Uh, that's a swing state. It's a very important one. And one where Trump does have a decent base. I'm, I'm assuming he'll be the nominee. You know, that, that, that's something Biden doesn't need. And, and look, also, you know, a big part of his agenda is ushering electric vehicles and, 
and clean transportation into existence. And, you know, the unions, the unions support EVs, but they want to make sure they have good paying jobs with all of this. And, and that's, that's also a part of this fight. So, uh, you know, Biden's got to play some politics here and, and he's kind of getting buffeted from all sides. David, you mentioned at the very top of our conversation about how this strike is taking place in the context of a lot of labor unrest. And this strike is the latest in a string of other walkouts in other industries that we've seen. And the workers were able to squeeze concessions out of some of those companies. Did the UAW sort of take their cue from the success of other union workers? I think to a degree they did. They'd probably never admit it. But I think Sean Fain... I think he wanted a strike coming in. I mean, he, he, he says he doesn't, but I, I don't think there were many ways he couldn't have unless the companies just came out and offered him an insanely rich deal to begin with. And they're never going to do that either. Like that, that's what bargaining is all about. Uh, but I, I think to a degree they did. I think the UAW is also reading polls that suggest now more than 70% of Americans view labor unions favorably, which is about double where it was, I think, five years ago. And you are seeing organizing drives win at places like Starbucks and you know, organizing efforts at Amazon. Seeing the writer strike seems to have public sympathy in, you know, in Los Angeles. Uh, UPS didn't have a strike, but the Teamsters won a really nice contract there. So, look, Labor's having a moment, clearly, in, in the U.S. And um, I think Sean Fain not only wants to be part of it, I think he wants to ride that wave and maybe uh, maybe make that that. that wave a little bigger. He's, he's going to hang 10 on the wave of American labor. So, David, what do you think happens next? Do you think the companies will sweeten their offer for the unions, or will this strike wind up spreading to those other plants? I think there will be another round of strikes almost no matter what. You'll, you know, you'll see Fain will escalate this to some degree. Maybe it's three more plants. And um, the companies will sweeten their offers. You know, again, that big question is whether or not Fain himself is willing to take a deal to his members that doesn't have this 1990s era return to guaranteed pensions and retiree health care. If he's willing to just take great raises and worry about that stuff in a future round of, of bargaining, then, you know, after maybe one more round of plant strikes and you know, we get a deal. And I think that, you know, I think it would get ratified. So if you were to venture a guess, how long before this is over? I mean, look, it's, it's probably at least a couple more weeks and it could vary at each company too, because he is, he's got issues with GM over the, the one union battery plant they have in Ohio and whether or not that should be in this master agreement or have a cheaper separate agreement. He doesn't like that. He's really angry at Stellantis over the threatened closure of a plant in Illinois. So there's some separate uh, some separate issues that aren't just you know pay and, and benefits at those companies that could make him stay out longer with each one. David, thanks so much for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. This episode was produced and engineered by our supervising producer, Vicky Virgolina. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.